Come plan your dream wedding all in one day at the 17th annual Newport Bridal Show on March 3rd. Meet with more than 80 top wedding professionals at two of Newport's most romantic venues, Rosecliff and Ocean Cliff Mansions. Visit NewportBridalShow.net to buy your ticket today. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live, uh, Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast every Thursday at 9 a.m., uh, even on Valentine's Day. Happy That's Valentine's right. Day, Jeff. You once again Thank have you. shown me up. I didn't wear my red, which I should have, um, uh, but we're here to talk about the news, and uh, I don't think we have any Valentine's Day news. That'll be tomorrow. Um, news editor Patrick Cassidy. I'm with reporter Jeff Spillane. Uh, Jeff covers the village of Barnstable, the town of Barnstable, the county of Barnstable. For anybody not from Cape Cod, it's, it's just a thing. And <laughs> all things politics in Barnstable and, and across Cape Cod. Uh, among the hottest political topics across the country is legal immigration. And uh, you were at a meeting yesterday about a program run by Barnstable County Sheriff James Cummings, which will be the topic of our big story this week. Oh, we'll also talk about the latest meeting to discuss a controversial cell antenna uh, project in a Centerville uh, church steeple. Another story you've been covering, a decision by state officials to deny a permit for an organization that wants to tag sharks in the waters around Cape Cod. And a ceremony yesterday at Air Station uh, Cape Cod on Joint Base Cape Cod to honor victims of a crash that occurred 40 years ago um, and took the lives of, of three airmen. We'll then take a look ahead at a story, uh, four airmen, I think, at a story about reaction to some proposed changes to straight bass regulations. You can take a look back at our past episodes and follow along at home by going to our website, capecodtimes.com, and checking out all our social media, Facebook, Twitter. Um, so this Centerville cell antenna controversy, it's been going on for a little while Jeff, but there was another meeting this week. Mm -hmm. There'll be another meeting in two weeks. Uh, what what happened at the meeting this week? Yeah, this all started what's... last April, so we're fast approaching a year. Yeah. I, as you said, I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. Yeah. Um, there was a meeting this past week. It was the most recent and one of several meetings in the past month. The issue here is the Cell Congregational Church on Main Street in Centerville, a very historic structure. Many of you probably already have seen as you drive by there, is installing the an agreement with T-Mobile wireless to put six antennas in the steeple very common a lot of churches do it it's a, it's a very popular thing across the country uh, neighbors in in centerville a lot of village residents when they learned about this they were a little upset that they were not part of the decision that the church was making to put these in they formed a group called centerville concerned citizens several hundred members at this point they have a gofundme account they have an attorney they're upset they don't want this in their village um, to make a long story short, or even longer, yeah. um, it, <laughs> construction on this was suspended last summer because um, Centerville Village is part of a district of critical planning concern. It's a designation by the Cape Cod Commission. Now T-Mobile is trying to go around that designation, trying to get either a variance from the Zoning Board of Appeals, a special permit, or a regulatory agreement with the town. And that was what the last meeting was, was about. It was to review a report that had been commissioned by the town at T-Mobile's expense to say, hey, was there really a need for these antennas? And is this the only suitable place? The report came back. It was by a consulting firm from Florida that specializes in this. They came up here. They took a look around. They took a ride around town. They saw the data. Yes, there's a significant gap in coverage in Centerville and the Craigville Beach areas, very popular summer spot. And the only place, the best location, the highest location to do this is the church. 
This that is, is a very strong argument. Well, and I was going to say, this is, this is, these are these two competing sides, which is concerns right. over which this group has over potential health effects from these mm-hmm. antennas. That's come up in various places. The World Health Organization has, has weighed in. There have been uh, reports about health concerns. Um, uh, there have been other re- studies that say they, it isn't a concern. People shouldn't be worried about that. But everybody's got one of these, yeah, and, and everybody wants their service to work in, in all areas. When mm-hmm. you get a dropped call, people really are very upset about that. So those two competing ideas of, of health and, and uh, service are, are what's at right. stake. The American Cancer Society says there's no problem here as far as health concerns. But there are more and more studies. The World Health Organization, as you said, is involved. And as more and, and stronger telecommunications technologies, uh, hit the mass market, such as 5G, which is coming 5G, up. Yep. There's a lot more concern. The issue here is every single person in this village of Centerville could come to town hall, could express how upset they are at this. The town could say, yeah, we agree with you. T-Mobile, go away. The thing is, they'd be in conflict with federal laws, federal FCC laws, severely limit what a municipality can do to stop a provider from providing good coverage to their their customers. A lot of it comes to do with public safety. Yep. The issue now is how far does the town of Barnesville want to take this? Yep, yep. Because they'd be facing a pretty steep uphill climb, as you said, to challenge uh, T-Mobile, and it would, you know, end up in court. Right. A uh, long, expensive court battle. It would be a long, a very long, expensive one because it would be in federal court. Mm-hmm. So the town attorneys have been advising the planning board, the zoning board of appeals. You know, really, they can do whatever they want. They can they can vote uh, no for this, but saying, hey, you know, if you do this, they will appeal. It will go to federal court. Likely going to be overturned yep and you can you can assume that t-mobile um you know whether it's they care that much about this one location or these antennas they certainly don't want to see the precedent of uh local town government being able to tell them where or where they can't put uh these antennas they want that to remain with the with the federal uh, jurisdiction and so they would probably fight it for them paying some lawyers, going to federal court mm-hmm. is something that they do probably pretty often. They do. The town of Barnesville is no stranger to being in court. Uh, it's the largest town on the Cape, can probably afford this more than some of the smaller towns. But even for the town attorneys in Barnesville, they said, this is, it's not impossible, but it's a steep uphill climb. And this is something that's really it, it would be. It, it's a long shot. And Britt Biedenbender is a town councilor who represents Centerville. It had some interesting comments to me this week. She is a realist. She realizes, yes, the law is completely against us. But at what point do you just do you stop rolling over and, as a matter of principle, try to fight this? Yeah, I, I noted that quote in there, matter of principle. Right. It's a matter of principle. You know, maybe we will be the one municipality that will be successful here. Uh, we need to. We've been elected to stand up to our uh, to uh, protect our citizenry, citizenry, mm-hmm. uh, protect their well-being and their health. This is obviously what they want. And of course, it's her precinct. And maybe we do have to go forward with this. Yeah, and it was interesting that they got that foothold with the Cape Cod Commission because otherwise this was going forward. They didn't really have anything to to stop it or slow it down. That district of critical planning concern, which are generally agreements between a town and the Cape mm-hmm. Cod Commission to allow the town to really uh, manage things in a certain area. Uh, was something having to do with the historical significance of that church. That's right. And if you go back to when the building permit was issued for T-Mobile to start the work in the steeple, that was kind of a mistake on the part of the town um, to let that happen because it took an attorney on behalf of the opponents to say, hey, uh, you can't do this because we have this DCPC. DCPC. 
ultimately, that will probably not hold water when you're up against a, a Again, federal, federal agency. Talking about local, regional, and then federal, so, you know, tends to come in and, and be the big. And I foot. mentioned it before we, we started this. It's, it's similar to what happened actually two years ago today on Valentine's Day, when the town of Barnstable said, "Yeah, you know what? We really don't want a needle exchange here in Hyannis." Needle exchange. Well, you know what? It went to the state's highest court. It was on Valentine's Day in 2017. And they eventually lost, but it was a long battle. It was costly. Absolutely. And and not to get sidetracked because we don't have that in our story list, but there is a story in today's paper about Falmouth uh, mm. dealing with their needle exchange uh, controversy that's going on out there. So I'd encourage everybody to to read that and to continue to read your stories. This meeting, uh, the planning board ended up continuing the hearing. Right. Yeah, and it's going to be on February 25th. So they, they pushed it off for two weeks. And the reason being, there are questions concerning the report that came back and said there's a coverage gap and this is the only place we can put it. Questions that obviously people in the town don't have that te technical expertise to answer. So what they've requested is one of the uh, authors of the report travel here from Florida Come and be up here for the next meeting to answer questions. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a big turnout. This was 100 people or so, I think uh, you yeah, said, showed up to this meeting. So. I mean, this, uh, this, this group says they're not backing down. Yeah. Uh, another uh, big story we've been covering, uh, in particular, uh, reporter Doug Frazier has been covering over the last several years, and in particular last year, with two uh, attacks by great white sharks and one that uh, ended up in a, a fatality in Wellfleet uh, on September 15th of last year. Um, uh, more recently, he's uh, been doing a few stories about uh, surfers wanting a, a, a seat at the table as uh, this kind of regional shark working group and others decide on how to move forward with uh, trying to make things safer for people in the water um, and whether or not even kind of that regional group and, and whether there shouldn't be more of a, a state involvement or other involvement of a, of a group with some more um, enforcement powers uh, to deal with these issues or, or powers to, to fund them. Um, in this week's uh, papers, uh, Doug had a story about a letter that went to Chris Fisher. Uh, he's the uh, head of OSEARCH, uh, which is an organization pretty well known around the world. They go from place to place tagging different animals, not just sharks, turtles, alligators, all sorts of animals. Um, and they, they say they do this for research purposes. There has been some data that's come out of their research that's pretty interesting. One shark, for instance, where everybody thought the great whites would go south every uh, winter. One shark instead came north and went east across the Atlantic and almost crossed the entire uh, Atlantic Ocean. Uh, so it gives them some real-time data. It's slightly different from the, the tagging of sharks that's been being done by Gregory Scomel. He's with the State Division of Marine Fisheries. In any case, the head of the Division of Marine Fisheries, uh, David Pierce, wrote this letter to Fisher on uh, February 8th, uh, denying a permit for Fisher and his group to come in and do some tagging off Cape Cod. And the concerns that, that Pierce really w raised here were safety concerns. He said uh, the way that Fisher does his tagging is he has this large boat, the O-Search. They bring it in. They have a smaller boat. They go out with the smaller boat and they chum the waters. Uh, and they also bait hooks um, uh, to attract the sharks. And then they hook a big shark, they bring it to the larger boat, bring it up on a lift. And within the course of about 15 minutes, they say they try and do it very quickly to uh, reduce the stress and, and effect on the sharks. Um, uh, they tag it. Sometimes they, they actually drill into uh, the shark uh, a, a GPS tag that they can track. Um, and some people have problems with that. Pierce's problem was the idea of chumming and baiting within areas that are close to shore, close to Cape Cod beaches, which are very popular, obviously, and already people are concerned about these sharks being in those waters. So to have more 
bait and and more food in the waters for the sharks the concern is that that would attract them even more to those areas and he just said we're not going to issue this permit he had previously uh said the same thing to osearch um uh, which has been here a couple times most of the time outside of state waters uh they they got a an agreement and we're able to work with Greg Scomo for a little while uh, on a one year. Um, but most of the time they've come without a permit uh, statewide. They have federal permits to do this three miles out further uh, and, and getting these sharks out there. Um, but they wanted to come back and do it in closer. In closer, I think it's a little easier to get these sharks. Greg Scomo's tagged uh, and his group uh, working with the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy have tagged 159 great white sharks, which is pretty incredible. He says up to a thousand could be swimming uh, um, uh, through Cape Waters over the past five years, which was a population study he had done. And that study was originally why Pierce had said that he didn't want uh, O-Search here because he thought that might uh, affect the integrity of that population study. This time around, he's saying it's it's um, uh, because of safety. Fisher has said he doesn't think uh, that it's an issue. He thinks he should be allowed. He uh, has been fairly vocal about uh, uh, his being upset about not being allowed to be here. Obviously, he's got a big organization. Uh, a lot of advertising actually goes through his organization, and, and he, he wants to get here, and he wants to get these sharks. So a lot of back and forth between these two groups. Um, but as of right now, he'll have to stay three miles out. He does say he's going to come. He's going to do tagging this summer three miles out. We'll see how that goes, and we'll see what uh, the state uh, does going forward with these uh, issues. Um, another story. Did you know about this 40 years ago, I think on Monday, uh, there was this crash. I, this morning. I, I actually didn't know about it either until uh, a few days ago or, or last week, really, when we heard about a ceremony taking place at Joint Base Cape Cod um, on, uh, I believe it took place uh, yesterday. Um, and our reporter, Doug Frazier, went. He had actually covered, interestingly enough, the same sort of ceremony 20 years ago in 1999, uh, which was the 20th anniversary of the crash of a Coast Guard helicopter, 1432. It was 180 miles uh, southeast of Cape Cod at the time, trying to lift an injured crewman off a Japanese fishing vessel. I can't imagine what these guys do. I mean, they, they guys and, and, and women now, uh, they, they go out in these helicopters and uh, into incredibly dangerous weather, uh, sea conditions, and uh, one of the people who attended this ceremony this week uh, kind of described it as the most dangerous flying that you can really do. In this case, it didn't go well. They were they were trying to get to this uh, Japanese fishing vessel, and uh, and the helicopter inexplicably kind of lost power, flipped over, and, and fell into the sea. Um, there were uh, four uh, crew members who, who didn't survive. One crew member did, which is also pretty incredible. The, the sole surviving member was Mark Tor. Um, he wasn't able to attend this ceremony. He's been in past years, every 10 years or so they do it. Um, but he was somehow able to hold onto the nose of the helicopter and then jump onto the, the fishing vessel in the end, uh, which is pretty incredible. But this ceremony uh, was pretty interesting because, again, people there pointed out family members, the Coast Guard uh, uh, who attended uh, pointed out that it really is important to mark these events and to remember the people who kind of sacrificed their lives going out on Cape Cod, the islands, where obviously really a place where fishing, uh, being on the water is part of life. And the Coast Guard is really uh, a big part of that life because they are the ones who go out when when somebody gets into uh, trouble. Um, and again, obviously, sometimes they get into trouble. This is the only uh, fatal uh, 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 fatality connected with Air Station Cape Cod, apparently. Um, but again, they continue to market. Uh, and, and the family members who showed up really said it was important also 
uh, for them to know that the Coast Guard's there for them and that the Coast Guard remembers and that that uh, people locally remember these uh, sorts of sacrifices. So a lot more information in, in Doug's story uh, about the people who were involved and, and what happened there. It's really an incredible uh, tale, and I, I encourage everybody to go to uh, CapeCutTimes.com to read it. Um, Another big meeting this week. This was this was the big story of the week as far as we're concerned. Um, it was a meeting in Bourne, kind of, uh, you know, not anything where, you know, anything was going to change or there was going to be a decision made. Uh, but for uh, uh, the country at this point where illegal immigration and the wall is the talk, mm-hmm. it's led to the government shutdown and, and potentially another one, although it looks like they have a, a deal going forward. Uh, locally, it's a big issue. You were there. What happened at this meeting in Bourne I was. Uh, this, yesterday? This was a meeting that was billed as the Bonham County Sheriff's 287G Steering Committee meeting. Mm-hmm. For those of you that are unaware, the Barnesville County Sheriff's Office for uh, the past year has been approved, and they are a member of the uh, ICE 287G program, which allows a number of Sheriff's County employees to be deputized um, on behalf of ICE to conduct some of their duties here on the Cape. That doesn't mean going out into neighborhoods, going knocking on doors, taking people in. But once a uh, somebody's arrested, they're arraigned, and they are sent to the county correctional facility, which means they either committed a significant crime or can't meet bail. Mm-hmm. That allows the sheriff's office now to tap into the ICE database to determine whether or not this person is here legally or illegally. If they find out that it is an undocumented immigrant, they can start the proceedings that way with ICE. They can notify ICE and say, hey, we have someone here. Are you interested in this person? Or and not? these are proceedings that could lead to deportation. It could. It, could it's, it, it starts the process that could ultimately lead to that. Over the course of the first year, 79 inmates that have come to the correctional facility in Bourne have been referred to ICE. From what we heard yesterday, only two have been deported so far. But as part of this program, part of the agreement with ICE and the the Sheriff's Office, they must have a meeting every year to get community input into the the program. And that was yesterday. It was in Bourne. Some people had mentioned that the the, uh, the most the furthest extremity of Barnstable County, that that wasn't lost on a lot of people. It was in Buzzards Bay, actually, over the Mm -hmm. bridge. But it really did draw a crowd. I mean, I'm guessing there were more than 200 people in the room, standing room only. It went out into the corridors. A lot of questions. People from both sides were there. Um, I would say pretty much evenly split right down the middle. Um, uh, people were opposed to to ICE and this program, as well as the the, the pro uh, pro immigrant uh, folks there as well. And people, were, and people who were supportive of immigration Sup- customs enforcement. Immigration. They actually had lanyards that some of them handed said, out that said, I love, I love ICE. ICE. Very love Valentine's ICE. Day of them. It was. Yeah. And they did use so hard. It was, I love ICE. Yep. And uh, and then there was a big contingent there also, as I mentioned, from the Democratic Socialists of America. Mm. When this program was being considered about a year ago, it had there was a, a, a non-binding referendum in front of the county commissioners and the county assembly of delegates, whether or not to support this or not. It got out of hand. The Speaker of the Assembly had to suspend the meeting. Yeah. It was it, it was nasty. Yeah, you covered that meeting, and again, I, I it was they literally had to shut the meeting down because people were shouting back and forth, and it was just a, a yeah, contentious. Yeah, it, it was in a building that there were just pretty much court officers as well. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of fear it could get out of hand this time. It didn't. In uh, you know, more than forty people got up and asked questions of the sheriff, the sheriff's department employees, and there were two representatives of ICE there from the Boston field office. Mm-hmm. It was calm. It was a civil discourse. 
there's a couple cat calls, some, you know, a, a few few speakers elicited some comments. Yeah. Otherwise, peaceful. Yeah. And large contingent of Lauren police in the room too, which may have, may have, that helps. May have yeah. helped. Yeah. Um, but some of the, the, the common questions that, that arose, if like, if I could key in on one, it was concerned whether or not due process, mm -hmm. if, if the inmates that are being referred to ICE that come to the Barnesville County Correctional Facility, if they are having a chance to go to court to find out if they're guilty, not guilty. Yes, they are. Um, if they are found guilty, they come to the, the county correctional facility, they serve their time, and then they would be handed over to ICE. And in some cases, ICE doesn't want some of these people. Yeah. You know, yeah, if it's yeah. a crime that's not particularly uh, heinous. But one thing that came up yesterday, I think, surprised a lot of people, is once you come to the county correctional facility, you're fingerprinted. Your fingerprint goes into the APHIS database, Automated Fingerprint Identification System which ICE is a part of. Yep. So if there's a hit, as they call it, and ICE says, oh, you know what, you just booked somebody that, that we're looking for, process can start right before away, somebody yeah. yep. is, is adjudicated. And, and again, this allows the sheriff's office to really start the paperwork, more or less, and to mm -hmm. go through that database and, and uh, becomes more efficient, you know, certainly for them. In the past, I, I believe, you know, they may, uh, ICE may... Um, Basically, the sheriff may find out that there's a detainer on somebody from ICE, and they may contact ICE, but there was a lot of kind of in-between that had to happen in order for the process to take place where ICE had to come pick that right. person up and then take them into custody. Here, they can be in the, the sheriff's uh, custody and still start going through right. the process. Right, get into the database. Um, and at one point, the, the sheriff, I'm not going to say he got agitated, he was a little upset, but he hearing so much of, you know, about why, why the county's doing this, he said to the audience, he said, well, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Do you want me to take these these criminals? And, and some of the, the crimes of the, of the uh, inmates that refer to ICE, they're pretty serious. I mean, you know, rape of a minor, even one murder. What do you want me to do with them? Do you want me to send them back to your community? Where do you want me to put them? Um, which is something he has said before, but uh, I think it really caught cut the crowd by surprise. Yeah, and again, in the kind of larger context, it, it is interesting because, again, fairly civil, the way you describe it, what I've heard uh, also that it was a kind of a civil back and forth. Obviously, on a national scale, uh, it, it has become much less civil in, in a lot of respects. Um, but you, you imagine that both sides, you know, the further left and the further right uh, on the political spectrum, uh, look at these battles uh, and these local issues and uh, worry about you know a slippery slope in either direction. Mm -hmm. On the on the you know further left, they worry that okay, so he's doing this in the jail. At what point that does it then expand to local police departments having exactly. enforcement powers and being able to maybe look at somebody or or looking at somebody in any case and deciding that person looks like they're an immigrant, therefore I'm going to stop them. And that gets into civil liberties quite a bit. On the other side, again, the idea that. You have, uh, and some of these things are being discussed here in Massachusetts, Safe mm -hmm. Community Act, right. where you wouldn't be allowed to really deal with these issues. And you could have somebody who is um, either accused or, you know, convicted of a, a, a serious crime being re-released into your community, even though they are not in the country legally. So again, those two sides are, are seemingly constantly battling this out, trying to gain ground, uh, you know, maybe, maybe hoping for kind of the higher ground in some respects, but but it's just kind of a stalemate. It's yeah, and I spoke with quite a few people there yesterday, and afterwards there was a rally outside of Main Street in Buzzards Bay where, where there was a, a protest by 
the Democratic Socialists of America, the Cape Cod chapter, and a counter-protest uh, as well by the, uh, the ICE supporters. It was clear to me that it doesn't seem as if either side is opposed to getting hardened serious criminals off the street it's just about the process and having process. ice involved yeah but even in that rally we have a photo uh i believe in today's paper that shows somebody who's holding a sign that says abolish ice <laughs> and then uh, other people holding signs that are about building the wall and and you know being worried about the invasion so these two again those it sounds like what you just said is most there's there's common ground here somewhere but when you have those two extremes and those kind of more vocal, uh, uh, you know, elements within within uh, the discussion, it really makes that common ground harder to find and harder to get to for anybody. I, I sat between two people, one on each side of the argument. It was interesting. I was watching body language, and you could tell when something was said, one would get angry, one would be happy. It was um, very, very, uh, very divided. But, but again, nothing changes as of right now. Right no now, the changes. sheriff's office is still uh, uh, moving forward with this program. They're one of only a few in New England uh, that are part only of this New program. England, yeah. I think you have to go as far as North Carolina to find others, but there's Bourne, Bristol, and Plymouth County, as well as the Massachusetts Department of Corrections. And all this could change. So Barnesville, Bristol, right. and Plymouth County, and okay, and the Mass right. Department of Corrections. And the Mass Department of Corrections. Yep. But the Safe Communities Act, that bill has been refiled on Beacon Hill. It was refiled last month. Didn't go anywhere. Last legislative session, passed the, passed the Senate, stalled in the House, didn't get included as a budget amendment. But a big part of that, if it does get uh, passed this legislative session, is that would abolish these partnerships between be local enforcement authorities, sheriff's offices, and ICE. And I remember during so, uh, Deval Patrick's time as governor, it wasn't allowed to happen. Right. Charlie Baker's administration has allowed it to move forward, but you, you could either see it happen through uh, the legislature. Mm -hmm. Certainly, if you, you had a change at the level of the governor, that would, you know, uh, potentially sway it in one direction or another in right. terms of and our legislative system. delegation just to uh, to talk about the site divisiveness yeah three of our eight have signed on as co-sponsors to that bill that's Senator Sear and representative Fernandez and peak yeah and certainly the Cape is as you mentioned the room being evenly mm -hmm. divided the Cape is fairly divided mm -hmm. in terms of the legislature and there are probably others who will certainly not be voting for that uh, uh, that bill so uh, we'll continue to follow that and continue to follow uh, that that uh, national discussion as it's as it takes place here locally thanks a lot for your reporting on that jeff it's been great um uh, looking forward we have a story coming up uh, uh again by doug frazier about uh some proposed changes in regulations for striped bass i know a lot of uh people around cape cod whether they're in the commercial fishing industry or they're recreational fishermen uh will have an interest in in this striped bass and i'll uh as uh, by way of full disclosure i am somebody who does fish for striped bass during the warmer months can't wait for uh, spring to come um, uh, is a big deal here on the Cape. So the, any changes there will be watched closely by by a lot of people. You can uh, watch for those changes and, and the proposals in uh, the Cape Cod Times uh, coming up in the next day or so. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, tell your friends, share the link. Feel free to reach out to any of us with any story ideas. Jeff, uh, any of the other reporters, their emails are all at capecodtimes.com. Um, and uh, happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. Thank you, Jeff, for being here and, and wearing red to, to make us look like we know what day it is, or at least you know what day it is. Um, we're where news starts on Cape Cod. Until next time, good morning and good luck.